Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a podcast by Family Bridges for modern parenting. Check out this week's episode. Attention shoppers, attention shoppers, please tune in for a very important Shop Smart announcement. If you direct your attention to aisle 12, you'll notice we have a very special VIB, very important baby. <laughs> I can't let strangers in. Oh, uh... Of course. You should never do that, but I'm not a stranger. I'm a friend of your mom's. I don't know you. You are not coming in my house. The Struggle is Real podcast starts in 3, 2, 1. Okay, well, hello, modern parents and modern society. Welcome to a new episode of The Struggle is Real. I am Omar Ramos, along with Veronica Avila and Dr. Alicia Laos. My favorite people. Hello, ladies. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to be here today talking about another good topic. Yes. Ready to take notes because it's uh, it's an important one. It's going to be a good one. Well, I think that today's episode is very interesting. It's called Defining the Line, Personal Boundaries. And we will be learning how to teach our kids to set boundaries from very early and throughout their lives. That's right. It's super important to do that. Now, to discuss further, we've invited Dr. Susie Francis Best, a licensed clinical psychologist. She's also executive leadership coach and founder and president of the Thrive Group International with over 15 years experience working with families, couples and individuals in different settings. Welcome, Dr. Susie. Hello. Thank you. It's great to be here. And it's an honor for us to, for you to be joining us for today's podcast. Now, this is the icebreaker and a question that I'm going to ask Veronica and Dr. Alicia and our guest today. Was it easy for you to set boundaries growing up? How did you transfer that input to your children? Veronica? You know, that's a tricky question because I grew up in a family where I was taught to always be nice. And when there were adults around, uh, there was this rule like you never contradict an adult. So if they cross the line, you just you just stay quiet because they're an adult, oh, wow. which was very interestingly not right. Right. I try to teach my kids not to do that. If there's something that bothers them, they shouldn't have to take it in. Right. Because then that's when some people can get a little too in your space. In other areas, though, I've been very clear. It's weird. I guess. I don't know. Choose the areas. Hopefully today I learn how to do that in all areas and I won't have a problem. So I need help. How about you? Yeah, I think there's different ways that I've been, you know, my husband and I have been very good with boundaries, like our time with faithfully put our kids to bed early because we just honor and protect our time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're at bed 8.39, the oldest, the tops, so we can have the evening time. And so there's just things that we've habituated ourselves so that we can protect our time. I think my parents had a lot of healthy boundaries as well. They they respected us, but, you know, they were a couple and they did their ministry. They did their work. And I think that that's somehow how spilled over into how I've lived my life and how I've my husband and I have orchestrated, if you will, our parenting with our own kids. It makes total sense. I mean, I'm, I'm sure with everything that they had, they were very busy, but they were also very organized. Setting those boundaries was probably easier for you to, to follow. And to also, follow. I mean, being in a home, we were six girls. And I distinctly remember my mom sitting down with all of us and talking about even just boundaries of personal space and our yes. bodies and, you know, what areas to protect and, you know, just having conversations. She didn't go into, you know, this like very intricate conversation, but just enough in terms of what is your personal space and what does that mean to you and things like that. And so mm -hmm. I think having those critical conversations made it clear early on that you didn't have to allow people to touch you or or oh, yeah. talk to you yeah. or do things that made you feel uncomfortable in any way you speak up. Yes. 
And that's important, especially nowadays that we say, well, I think it's been all the time. <laughs> just, we just see it more and more in the news or, or people speak up about it more now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot comes to mind, especially when I put on the cultural lens. I think I grew up in St. Croix Virgin Islands. And so I think things that were we see as really healthy boundaries, like my parents were very available to us. I was just talking to my husband, like we weren't allowed to close our bedroom door. <laughs> so it's, uh, certain things were very interesting. It was girl, all girls as well. Yet my parents definitely closed their door and, and wanted us to respect their time. And if we needed to be asleep or something, then that was uh, where we needed to be. I do know that some of the boundaries that I honor or I repeat, like I have a one-year-old and he's still sleeping in our room. And I remember 10 years ago when I was in the middle of my work that that was seen as in European culture as just unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And now even the American Pediatric Association says, your child should sleep in your room up until their first year, if at all possible. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just interesting culturally that certain cultures have had a different lens of boundaries. Like, yes, your child needs to be growing up separate but that there's some protections also that happen if they're closer to you and so what that looks like. So I think it's also a navigating what really works for your family and how to communicate that. And even for my son, who's one year old, where we are looking at him, he needs to be in his crib in the same room, but not in the bed. And, and it's funny because he's also decided it's more comfortable to have all the space in his crib than be smushed up in the in the bed. But I think it's it's just really important to communicate, especially when we're thinking about family, that the couple talks through what boundaries look like together because you're forging your own family. So you each may have a different culture. So what does that look like for each of your parents? If your in-laws have a different view than you, what do you want to talk about together? Because that's something I know my husband and I navigate. I've seen clients need to navigate that. When you go visit family, Mm -hmm. what do those boundaries look like? And I think that's a really important communication piece that couples go through. Like what? how do you want to to navigate that with family. Most Mm -hmm. definitely. That's interesting. You know, growing up in uh, Central California, my parents worked like 24-7, and our boundaries were so different to the boundaries of other kids around the block. I just noticed the kind of rules and boundaries that they had versus mine. Mine was like I was a latchkey kid. Do you guys know what a latchkey kid is? But explain to us. Well, a latchkey kid is... A child or a daughter or a son that literally has like a key around their neck so they can get into their house because mom and dad is not home because mom and dad are working all day long. So you're obviously kind of like the responsible person that shows up after school, opens the door and has to feed your siblings and all that stuff. So that was part of like the boundaries. That was part of like the rules that I had to go through. And just like, don't open the door to anybody that you do mm-hmm. not know. Of course, I broke a couple rules back in the day because <laughs> all, the, all the kids from the block would get in and, and we'd be playing video games and all that good stuff. Now, as a grown up, as a father, there's some things that I have implemented that my parents kind of needed for me to help them out with. But uh, when it comes to like my daughter and I, it's it's very simple. Just certain things that I expect from her as far as being respectful to her mom and her sister. She doesn't live with me. And every day we speak over the phone at a certain time right before she goes to bed and she tells me about her day and we go over her homework, whether FaceTime or over the phone. So it's little things like that, boundaries that that I think are healthy that have worked for her and I at this point. <laughs> well, good. Hopefully today we can get additional tips that will help us uh, better that relationship. Now, I'll give you some quick facts that we found here. A source here is TherapistA.com. Personal boundaries, well, definition are the limits and rules that we set ourselves or for ourselves within relationships. Now, a person with healthy boundaries can say no to others when they want to. 
but are also comfortable opening themselves up to intimacy and close relationships. Important. A person with rigid boundaries always keeps others at a distance, emotionally, physically, or otherwise. Now, alternatively, someone who has porous boundaries tends to get too involved with others. That's interesting. Hmm. And something that I also want to share is that most people have a mix of different boundary types. X, someone can have a healthy boundary at work, uh, porous boundaries in a romantic relationship, and a mix of all three types within their same family. See, that's what I was talking about. Oh, my goodness. I fall into that one. Goodness gracious. Now, according to the Child Mind Institute, boundaries are not only about understanding and respecting our own needs, but also being respectful and understanding of the needs of others. Really important. And for that to work, we need to help kids develop greater empathy and self-awareness. Doctors. Absolutely. And I, I'm really glad we're talking about this boundary issue. It's something we need today. I, I like to think of boundaries like a house, if you will, mm-hmm. the image of a house. You let people, perhaps lots of people into your living room. But you're not going to let everybody into your room or bedroom yes. or private rooms. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that context, there are situations where you will let people in, yeah. in certain rooms of your life, if you will, of your heart, of your soul. But you're not going to let everybody in your bedroom. And so it's those kinds of boundaries that are important in terms of emotional health as well. So Encouraged and excited to hear the rest of the podcast and what we have in the store. Well, let's dive into the first one, the first sketch. How about that? This is called Not So Sweet Cheeks. Hmm. Attention shoppers, attention shoppers, please tune in for a very important Shop Smart announcement. If you direct your attention to aisle 12, you'll notice we have a very special VIB, very important baby. (laughs) That's right, there is an adorable baby in aisle 12. We saw her come into the store and just can't believe how big and round those little cheeks are. So everyone, head on down to aisle 12 and get yourself a pinch of those cheeks. Just another perk of shopping at Shop Smart. Uh, excuse me, sir, did you just tell the entire store to pinch my daughter? Well, if it isn't a precious little princess, hello, baby, peekaboo. <laughs> my daughter's not having a good day. She had shots earlier. She's starting to get a fever. Oh, I'm sorry about that, little baby. Does your head feel hot? I heard we had a little baby in the store. Look at those cheeks. I just have to squeeze them. Oh, hello. Hi. Could you please give my daughter a little space? She's not feeling well. Someone had a little bitty fever. Peek-a-boo! Oh, no. I've got some whiskey in my cart. Here, let's give her a cap full. Uh, no, thank you. I heard the announcement. I'm coming in for my free pinch. <laughs> You're a fussy little baby. Yes, you are. Who's a fussy little baby? Who's fuzzy? I'm sorry. I just finished explaining. This little baby isn't feeling well, is she? Peek-a-boo! Somebody's mommy gives her too much attention. This little baby needs to toughen up. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Oh, no. I I think we better be going. Oh, just one more pinch for the road. No, sorry, it's that time. She needs to get used to attention. With cheeks like these, everyone will want a pin. I'm really good with babies. Let me hold her for a minute. All right, baby, open up. I've got Grandpa's cough syrup right here. Back off, Grandpa. (gasps) I'm sorry, Penelope. Baby, let's go. We'll buy Tylenol across the street at the grocery barn. 
You can do a little better job making her comfortable with strangers, you know. No, I'm sorry, but I can do a little better job protecting her, standing up for her, and recognizing when she's not being treated with respect. <laughs> you don't have to be sore, ma'am. We just wanted to show you our appreciation for that beautiful little baby there. No, what you wanted to do, what you all wanted to do, is treat my child like an object. It's called respect and boundaries. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Okay, so we're back, and that was Sally and her baby Penelope. They went into a store, and for some odd reason, the store announcer decides to invite everyone that was present to come see the baby and pinch her little cheeks. Mom's obviously upset. Dr. Francis, how do you think the mom went about it? It was painful to listen to, Um, (laughs) and it is a scenario that can happen to any mom. Again, when we talked about family earlier, Mm -hmm. that can happen at family gatherings or parties or at a park. I think it is difficult, and I think in the end, mom handled it well, but she really was struggling to navigate her way. She would vocalize the boundary she wanted, and then it sounded, at least from what we could hear, that she let boundaries slip, like you could hear the baby crying. So obviously somebody touched her cheek when the mom... (laughs) Mom had already said she's not feeling well. And I think we can all find ourselves in that at times where we are saying a boundary, but then you're caught in a situation. One of the things I know happens is even at church, such meaning well people, and they're all giving you their version of boundaries out loud as the crowd did. Well, she needs to learn this or she needs to learn that. And a parent can find themselves questioning themselves in the middle of the situation. So I think she struggled, but in the end, she finally decided, no, it is. I'm the only one who can protect my child. Now, we heard how mom should handle it. Now, message to us, the curious people that want to go hug or pinch this cute little baby. It's really good. I think culturally, also just the point of culturally, mm-hmm. some cultures, you know, it's just more hugging yes. and more, you know, we're just more physically affectionate than others. And so I think that that's also something to be mindful of, that if you are working with someone that's from, you know, or like a church or wherever or in the grocery store, and you run into someone that's from a different culture, do understand that there's nuances and differences in that. And so don't just assume that perhaps because in your family or mm-hmm. your cultural experience has been that you just go straight up to the baby, that others are going to go like, what, you don't do that in my culture. So just understand there's some of that. But I think what I've done is I just ask the parent first. Don't just assume that that's okay. Don't just cross the boundary. We seek children and you know you just want to go and, and, mm-hmm. and touch them right away. But in the same way that you're walking down the pathway and you see someone with a dog, you don't just pet him right away what do you do you ask can yes. i pet your dog you know it's i know it's kind of funny using the example of the dog the children <laughs> but they do some somehow evoke something in us that we want to hold them and yes. cuddle them and that's what babies do right we want to just do all that baby talk to them but before we just go straight and head on that way ask the parents for permission ask them they might be sick they might be concerned different things might be going on and you don't know so don't just assume and you know go straight for it instead just ask the parents and i think that's just the simple rule that we can all follow and it will help parents. And also just piggybacking on what Dr. Susie Francis said is while we may be well-meaning and we have a plethora of advice because, hey, maybe you have been there and done that already or you've got your own assumptions and ideas of how parenting should work. You know, we do sometimes go down against parents with 20 advice and they didn't Mm -hmm. ask for it. So is that really warranted? Is that really needed? You know, do we need to just hold back? Put a balance there. Yes. And you both of you mentioned something really important. You mean well, but it may not be received that way. I know I had an experience with a little cute baby girl and I was like, oh, gordita preciosa, you know? And then later on, the dad told me, yeah, I know you called my daughter fatty or something like that. I was like, what? I said, no, 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 no. I, I didn't mean it that way. I meant it like, 
oops, sorry. And then I kind of understood, okay, Veronica, you got to be careful because that's culturally, that's how we kind of go about babies. But now, I mean, it's, it's great to be aware of that because not everybody is will welcome that. They may be offended and that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and just to uh, piggyback right on what you were just mentioning, the cultural thing that uh-huh. sometimes we express ourselves a certain way because we think it's okay automatically, which is a big mistake. Yeah. I believe that maybe because of family habits or maybe a cultural habit, some of us will encourage our kids to hug or maybe even kiss a uh, family member or a friend, an uncle, an auntie, and the child obviously might feel uncomfortable. Dr. Francis, how important is it to speak to our kids about maybe offering an alternative, a different choice, maybe a wave or a handshake? or I mean, should we take those kind of things into consideration as well? Yes, I think from working with parents for years and an added additional lens being a parent, I find myself educating the adults around even Mm -hmm. before the child. Granted, if our children are older, we can continue. But when we start with them small, I think it is important to say, well, honey, if you're comfortable, so-and-so would like a hug or a kiss. And that way we're saying it out loud so the adult and the child have heard, I'm giving you permission to make that choice. And if the adult wants to give those rules back like we heard, like, oh, my goodness, giving them so many choices. But we want our children to learn from an early age. We also sometimes don't know if our child is an introvert or an extrovert. So even on top of culture, we don't know if asking them to hug and kiss so many people is exhausting them or just causing them a lot of discomfort that's unnecessary. I have found this as a parent. Again, my child is only one, but he's very friendly. And yet when he's new to someone, he's not. And he met my father for the first time at 10 months. Mm. And he was really slow. And I just had to keep saying, Dad, when we spend enough hours with him just doing nothing, he will get close to you. Um, But if you just want him to run and hug you for a photo op, it's not (laughs) going to work. And so that's what I mean. I found myself educating so that my child wasn't looked upon as rude or offensive. I don't want that when he's three, four or five to be seen as rude or offensive. I want the adults to say, give him a moment. My child, I'm already learning, needs some time to warm up to you before he shows you affection. And so I want to observe what my child is teaching me and protect that for him, that he can feel comfortable showing that other boundary. I loved what Alicia said. He can feel comfortable inviting people to his living room or his playroom at his leisure, not feel forced. Yeah, most definitely. Great advice. Now, how about we go into our second sketch? This one's going to get a little stranger. It's called Stranger Danger. (laughs) (laughs) Can I help you? Hi, you must be Roger. I'm a friend of your mom's. Do you mind if I run inside real quick? I just need to grab my cell phone. I can't let strangers in. Oh, uh, of course. You should never do that, but I'm not a stranger. I'm a friend of your mom's. I don't know you. You are not coming in my house. Wait, 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 wait. Roger, I'm sorry. I'm kind of in a rush. I am 99% positive I left my phone in your house this weekend. Can I come look for it? I'll really just be a minute. No. I'm not getting kidnapped. Bye. Right, Roger. Seriously, I'm a friend of your mom's. How else would I know your name? The internet. How would I know that you had a party this weekend? The whole block knows. There were cars parked everywhere. For all I know, you were casing the joint, saw the people, waited till my mom was gone, then boom, came here to kidnap me. Okay. How about you just call your mom? Her name is Sharon. We have book club together every month. How would I know all that unless I knew your mother? The internet. Would you please just call her? Why don't you? Because I left my phone somewhere in your house last night. How convenient. It's actually not convenient at all. Please hold. 
What is with this kid? She did not pick up. You called her already? Yep, she's a busy lady. She did not pick up. Bye. Wait, 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 wait. Can you text her that I'm here? My name is Gloria Esterhouse. Fake name. I'm sure she will tell you it is a real name and that it's okay for me to come in. Please hold. I can't believe this. She texted back. She said your phone was on the coffee table. Is this it? Oh, yes. Thank you. This phone's pretty nice. Could probably fetch 200 bucks on the black market. How do I know it's yours? Um, there's a kitten on the home screen. Lucky guess. What's the password? That's kind of private. Bye-bye, Mrs. Fake Name Kidnapper. Wait, it's it's 521972. Why'd you pick that password? It's Dwayne the Rock Johnson's birthday. All right, fine. Here, but let this be a lesson to you. About what? Talking to strangers. All right, that was hilarious. We had a 10-year-old boy at home with uh, Mrs. Esterhouse, who well, we later found out was a friend of mom trying to get her phone back that she left behind the night before at the party. But we saw this boy taking the stranger danger to the next level. <laughs> he, he was investigating her up and down and <laughs> down to the sides. She, he was not having it. Uh, my questions are, why is a 10-year-old alone, first of all? And what can you tell us about this type of stranger danger lesson, Dr. Alicia? I like this boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like his firmness. Um, I mean, I, I get it. You know, he was maybe taking it to the 10th degree. But, you know, just nowadays how things are, you know, knowing what we know that mm-hmm. things like abuse and kidnapping do happen more often by friends. Yeah. I tend to be one that goes to the extreme. It's better to be more protected in that regard than not. I just think we live in a certain age where there's just so much out there. Um, So I guess what I liked about him is that he was firm and he didn't get himself persuaded against all of this evidence that showed Mm -hmm. otherwise. I get it at the end. It was a little too much, but I liked (laughs) the, the firmness that he had. You know, and then you do wonder why he was alone. He's 10. I mean, for all we, you know, I guess in the context of the skit, his mom was at work and you're wondering why is a 10-year-old mm-hmm. being at home for such an extended period of time, assuming that he was home all day. And so, you know, I know you were talking about the latchkey kids. and yeah. There are kids that get home by themselves. And you hate to see that, right? The kids are alone, especially with so many after-school activities mm-hmm. and programs that are available out there. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and and I just kind of like visualized myself like this, like took me back in time. And there was a situation one time where uh, this lawyer showed up to our house. I don't know. I just remember I wanted to like super serve this person. And I invited this man with a briefcase into the house. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. Now I'm like getting chills. I'm like, obviously, my parents, when they showed up home, there was this man sitting in our living room. And yeah. And of course, uh, at first, mom and dad were like, oh, well, um, good job, son. (laughs) Who's this person again? Well, he says he's your lawyer or something like that. It was a situation that was going on when we were younger. Uh, It turns out that he was a lawyer and he was well intended. Uh And I even, I I think I made some lemonade for him or something like that. Obviously, I got scolded (laughs) afterwards. But again, again, it could have presented itself a very serious or dangerous situation. And you were talking about this kid's firmness and that could have, you know, saved his life or his you know, protected him as a young boy. But going back to the question that I want to ask Dr. Susie Francis, would this be an example of rigid boundaries? And can this have a positive or negative effect on a kid? Because, I mean, this kind of attitude, he's 10 years old now, but how is he going to react when he's, you know, 20 or 30? Is he going to act the same way? Is he going to treat people this way? So my question is, is it good or bad 
the way that he's kind of expressing himself here? Yeah, that's a great question because I'm kind of with Dr. Alicia and everybody else mm-hmm. that I like it, especially in the context. Like given mm-hmm. that they gave us the context, he has a cell phone. So if he's at home dependent on a cell phone to interact with his parents, mm-hmm. I think they taught him well to be overly rigid mm-hmm. in that scenario, mm-hmm. like in order to protect their child, because even this woman was pretty good at trying to get him to get her way. And so what if she was, uh, what if she had malintent? I think what concerned me was his almost like paranoia, like, you know, well, you could be this. So I think, mm-hmm. yes, having overly rigid boundaries where he, you trust no one, like even once it came to be that the cell phone was on the coffee table that his mom said and everything he still kept testing the limits with like the worst case mm-hmm. scenario he didn't hit middle road he always yeah. hit worst case scenario <laughs> yeah. of like you're gonna kidnap me I, I would be a little concerned that maybe this little boy shouldn't be alone by himself that mm-hmm. he's really either watching too much news or other things and that will cause him to your question mm-hmm. he could get isolated you know by both adults and peers mm-hmm. if he's always questioning people and always thinking someone you know if he says out loud to his friends that he's always guessing they have the worst intent mm-hmm. for him, uh, that might get him ostracized. And it could, I mean, in an, its extreme form, could lead to a little bit of mental health concern with just a person who's a little too paranoid to enjoy life. And and we wouldn't want that for our child or our adult if they're preoccupied with all the wrong things mm-hmm. happening to them. Yes. Never letting anyone in into their lives because we talked about that emotional space. You know, yes. oh, if I have a friend, they're going to hurt me or they have mm-hmm. this out for me or they only want to borrow this toy. They only want to come over to play with my toys, not for me, that Mm. that could really leave him pretty isolated. Hmm. Too much paranoia. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You guys reminded me of a a friend I had when I was in my college years, and he was always like that. Worst case scenario, I would say, you're such a pessimist. Why? And he would say, no, I'm a realist Mm -hmm. because these things happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, good luck with that. (laughs) Now, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about little kids that are four or five years old. At that age, they usually trust everyone. They have no malice at all and will chat with whomever, wherever they are. Now, how do we prepare them to be careful with interacting when they're interacting with strangers and even close people? Help them set those clear boundaries, especially the physical boundaries. Yeah, it is such a good question. And just remember when my kids were babies and I have an older son who's super extrovert and I'd have to watch him like a hawk Mm because he would just be, you know, everywhere, talk to everybody. And he does that to this day. (laughs) Um, So I do think that whole extrovert also introvert thing is something to watch for. We just have kids that are just more out there and outgoing and even just more open in their disposition with people. But, yeah, kids are just, you know, they have had no trauma and no negative experience. You know, if they've been growing up in a healthy home and their world is colorful and beautiful, why would they not? trust others and other adults in their lives. And it's difficult for them to understand that others would have mal intent other than the villains in the cartoons they watch. You know, other than that, it's kind of hard for them to see that. But I do think that we can introduce concepts to them. I used to do this with play therapy as well as with my children is I would have them just draw a silhouette of their body, you know, in a newsprint. And then I would just draw a line around it. Mm-hmm. And I would just talk about space and boundaries and how we have those kinds of boundaries and how we need that separation. So just in a very concrete way that they could see it in their bodies. And then we draw pictures of how it would feel in the body if people would touch parts that they weren't supposed mm-hmm. to. And so just very concrete ways for them to understand that kind of physical space. Because if we could get too abstract with our conversation, it's difficult for them to understand it. But using those kinds of art and play therapy mm-hmm. for them to understand that. I've also done puppets and just played with them with their toys and their stuffed animals and just drawn out different situations that could possibly happen and play with them and then just explore with them what that would mean if someone approached them that they didn't know and what that would look like. So I'd enter their world of play and then play we just kind of 
role-play different circumstances that would come across. Like if someone was a stranger and they didn't know it, how would we talk to them or how would we, you know, and just kind of play it out with them. Yeah, that's a little bit easier than just making abstract conversations. For very, them. very important. At a previous job that I had working with a campaign on how to talk to kids about sex, values and expectations, I remember one of the parents that we had in one of the workshops. She, uh, it was really important for her to talk about teaching kids about their body parts with the name parts and just because that's the anatomy instead of calling body parts different things because she was telling us about the experience that she had with her daughter. Uh, her daughter would call one of her private parts, she would call it uh, osito, like a little bear. And so she kept saying to the teacher that somebody was touching her osito and the teacher had no idea what she was talking about. Mm. So then later on, they found out that somebody was molesting her. And obviously that's an extreme, right? But how important is it that we're clear in that sense with the kids? Yeah, and kids are very smart and very verbal. I mean, if we talk down to them as babies too long and prolonged and we don't speak to them in a vocabulary, um, we're undervaluing their capacity to learn. And so being able to be clear, and I think sometimes we keep the baby talk for one year and we keep going until they're five and four. And that's a mistake. I see my kids with a wealth of vocabulary. They're able to really absorb it. They're Mm They're, you know, they're sponges. They learn. But if we undermine their ability to learn vocabulary, then, you know, then they're not going to grow to that. And then all sorts of misunderstandings could occur. All right. Well, thank you for that. Great point. Thanks for breaking it down, Dr. Alicia. And we're going to go ahead and, oh, no, it's our last sketch already? Yeah. Goodness gracious. Okay. This is the last scenario. And we named this one Family Tree. It's been a pretty quiet week at the clinic. Beasting allergy on Tuesday was the worst thing that came in, and that's a pretty tame problem. How about you? One second, Katie. Esteban just walked in. Want to say hi? Esteban, come say hi to your Aunt Katie. Hey, Aunt Katie. I'm good. Yeah, I'm still playing the drums. Mostly just rock and roll. I want to be like Keith Moon. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, too. Kitty, can you hold on a second? What's up, buddy? So, we have this assignment for school to make our family tree. Oh, how fun. I remember doing that in school. I just wanted to show it to you. I think I did a really great job. Well, to start, that's a great-looking tree. There's you, me, Dad... But, honey, you're missing your Uncle Michael. No, I remembered. Uncle Michael. But is he really an uncle? Well, he's my brother. But we haven't seen him since three Christmases ago. He could have hair down to his butt now and I wouldn't know. (laughs) That's true, but he's still family. Look, I included the other aunt and uncle. Like, there's Aunt Katie. Yes, but you know... Aunt Katie isn't actually your aunt. We're friends. I know, but she's basically family. She and Uncle Tim are over here all the time. So Uncle Tim is family too? Yeah, he's married to Aunt Katie. He got me a Charizard card for Christmas. (laughs) This assignment wasn't just a thank you list for who gives you presents. I had to draw out my family. This is my family. Buddy, you're so sweet. But you gotta include Uncle Michael. I wouldn't recognize Uncle Michael in a grocery line. Okay, stop saying uncle in quotes. I know he wasn't around a lot, but he was around a lot for me growing up, and he's a part of me. What do you mean? I mean, he's a part of who I am. 
And so are you. So we are related. You just haven't had the chance to see it a lot. In school, they call that transitive property. Yes, like that. Hmm. Well, I can always add more branches. I drew everything in permanent marker already. I would never make you erase anything. Now go ahead and make your changes. I'd love to see what it looks like when you're finished. Plus, I can tell you some stories about my grandpa. My great-grandpa? The fire pilot? Awesome! Katie, I forgot you're still there. Did you hear all that? <laughs> wow. All right, great scenario. And uh, so bottom line, there's family, and then there are friends who become family. Mm -hmm. That's what we just heard from Regina and her son, Esteban, who's working on a family tree. Now, interestingly, he skips Uncle Michael, who's his, like, biological uncle and who lives in another state, but includes Aunt Katie, who's actually a family friend. I'm assuming a lot of people can relate to this. Um, I know my daughter, we had a mm -hmm. situation like that a while back where she was working on a project very similar to this. Dr. Susie, this child obviously is kind of basing his family tree on a relationship versus mm -hmm. a, some kind of relation. Can you uh, amplify a little bit on that? Yeah, I think that kids go through a phase like this because, like you said, we can all relate. I have been that Aunt Katie where a close friend of mine <laughs> that we've been good friends since second grade and we spend at least a couple weeks together a year. Her kids went through that of like, okay, well, where does Titi Susie belong? And then where do these other people <laughs> belong yeah. in this tree? And then her son got really obsessed with, well, if they're not blood, they should be not in this tree. And so just really trying to figure it out. I think it's important to be clear despite our family boundaries mm -hmm. on kids understanding who is by heritage, who can they be proud of through their DNA, and then who are or are, are people who really matter to the family. So I, I think that the scenario mom did a good job, but can also talk about a child's need. Like there must be something that he wants from Uncle Michael. Mm -hmm. um, maybe he's offended that Uncle Michael can't send a gift when everyone else can. Or being a male, it almost sounded like he was looking for some connection to his mom's brother. So I think it would be important to have a dialogue about, you know, would you like to talk to Uncle Michael and maybe have that dialogue about, could we Skype with you or could we FaceTime? Because mm -hmm. sometimes we have siblings or family members who are off doing their own thing and it's hard for them to connect or feel valued or the importance of being valued to our children. And so I think that it is important to, one, clarify for our kids what heritage can do. I think that's mm -hmm. really important for kids to know where they come from, who they be, who they're a part of. Mm -hmm. um, as you heard mom's pride. My brother meant a lot. He did a lot. And then she was talking about telling stories. I think that's still really important despite our technology age that kids hear stories of who they be, where they come from, mm -hmm. how different family members have mattered, and then that they're introduced to friends and the, the value friends have brought into our life that may cause them to feel like family. Because I think even godparents can add a whole extra yes. layer to that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think you hit it on the spot. That connection, that connection that they have with the kids is really important. Now, us as parents, as adults, how can we help them stay connected with those relatives? We already mentioned technology. There's one that's that's a great way to do that. If the uncles and the aunties that are out there want to be a part of this kid's life, wouldn't they have to be a little more proactive and just get a little bit more involved? Maybe he's far away. Okay, we'll call him. Or I don't know. If you're looking for that male role model, there's got to be a some bro connection that I obviously don't know about that they can kind of get creative about, right? right. Yeah, I mean, and we're not born in a bubble or in a yeah. vacuum. Family does matter and yes. it is important to know that and so it's important to kind of work through that and understand where you come from and your culture and your family because it does impact you and I think children are curious
curious about that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's fascinating and interesting. And also we don't want to deprive them of that. But I do like the point that it has to be intentional because it's so easy for us to get crowded with the busyness mm-hmm. and life takes over and it could be just a once a year thing. And then, as we know, not everybody has the opportunity to be able to fly out or visit each other because we do know that we live in an age where people are living in different states and different countries. True. Yet, having said that, also technology, there's just so many opportunities that can cut through that and allow us to still have a relationship. At the end of the day, it means that we have to be intentional about it because we can, the technology is there, we can make all sorts of efforts in order to be close. Yes. And I think people are creative and they know what to do. It's just a matter of intent and having that priority. Yes, intentionality, the intent has to be there. I have a little nephew my sister's son, who loves people. He's a people person. He loves, loves people. And we have an aunt in Mexico. She's 94. And every time she's, my sister Skypes with my aunt, which is like almost every other day because she, she has a very special connection with my aunt. He's there. And he's like, auntie, you're so, oh, you're so sweet. And they've never met in person <laughs> because we haven't, he hasn't been in Mexico. But I love to see that connection. And when he talks about her, he's like, that's my other grandma because that's my grandma's sister. It's my grandma. She's so adorable. Oh. And she always, <laughs> you know, and, and I love that because he actually, he loves his other grandma, his other tia that's on the phone. So yeah, let's do more of that. I, I would just briefly add that encouraging children to use pen and paper while archaic, what studies are showing is that when they receive a real card, it's yes. incredible to them. And so, you know, we don't know if Uncle Michael, God forbid, but he could be in jail or in the military. And there are sometimes complicating factors Mm -hmm. as to why we're not as close to a family member. But we could still encourage our children to get out that old school pen and paper and practice sending a letter. Oh, Oh, that's awesome. Yes. My heart melted. Yes. (laughs) Now, uh, continuing here with uh, Dr. Susie Francis, I would like to ask you, how can parents with rigid or porous boundaries make the transition to setting a healthy boundary? What advice? can you share with parents so they could actually um, reach that healthy boundary? I love what Dr. Alicia said earlier, which was intentionality. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we've said it as a theme throughout. You've got to take a moment, pause, and realize where might you be putting your child in danger by allowing, by not having had conversations with them, by allowing too much in and out, or by having them be so rigid that you're starting to see some of that fear or paranoia. However, being intentional to say, where do I want to head with my child? How would I like my child to be? And how can I have the, the adults who have the most influence? on them, whether it's teachers, their other parents, their family members, help us with that. So if you're too porous, how do you start having certain conversations with, you know, we we don't let everyone do this or we don't Mm -hmm. allow everyone to do that. And just um, modeling is important, too. And then if it's too rigid to say, honey, not everyone is out to get you or just really helping pull them towards that middle, but really allowing that to be conversation with intention. I love that word. Just making sure you are intentional about how you want to go about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then also just making sure that we're consistent. Oh, um, absolutely. No, I mean, many parents inadvertently, maybe when you're with someone at church, maybe, right? You don't want to hurt the, the older lady that's really well intended. If you've already taught your kids these boundaries, how do you stay on board with supporting your kids' boundaries and not just dismissing them because you don't want to make the older lady feel bad? How do we do that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's important. Physical, emotional boundaries are extremely important for us to be able. They're defined by our values. Mm-hmm. And so what's our vision for our future? And I think that that could be our guiding post in terms of enforcing them in the present. So who do I want my child to be in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of person do I want them to be? And then what are the boundaries that are letting them define that pathway? So, for example, if I want them to be courageous and I want them to be fearless and I want them to be able to speak up and not be carrying on a life that they're just carrying everything on their shoulders and they're saying Mm -hmm. yes to everything, that means that I would want them to say no to things. Yes. That might mean that they have to say no and it might come across as disobedient to others. Mm. Right? Especially when they're little and if they say no, well, how come this child say no to me? Yes. Well, then in that sense, then we want to stand up for our child and say, I'm so proud that you said no in the face of this, Mm -hmm. which might seem like an act of disobedience, right? As Mm -hmm. long as they're not being defiant Mm -hmm. and overly fighty and feisty. Right. But they're Mm -hmm. being they're using their assertive skills Um, in order to be firm. Then that's great because I know that then that child is going to be in the workforce. They're going to have experiences later on and they're going to have to say no. Yes. And not take things in. So I think having a clear vision for our children in the future and then also having understanding that we do live in an age and a time where a lot is going to come inside. And we do have to have closed doors. We do have to have boundaries. We have skin mm-hmm. that protects our bodies, right? Yes. And that's a boundary. So boundaries are a good thing and they're a healthy thing. And so we need to embrace that, not necessarily shudder away from it. But we also, like I said, it's just this fine line like we we're talking about. We can't also go the fear and the extreme mm-hmm. and, and go all out crazy with it. Keeping that healthy balance. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you to both of you for sharing your sound advice. Dr. Susie Francis, where can we find more and learn about Thrive Group International. Yes. So you can go to, it's a long website, but it's www.thrivegroupinternational.com. So that's thrivegroupinternational.com. All right, cool. Thank you so much. Okay. Stay connected with us via social media for the latest on TSIR with hashtag the struggle is real, hashtag TSIR. Now, Dr. Alicia, we would like to hear your three tips for today. Well, let's set boundaries. Let's not hold back from them. That's pretty important. And we need to teach our kids, model that, be an example of that, and make sure that we work with them with those emotional boundaries, physical boundaries, again, without being so overly protective of our Mm -hmm. children that we're protecting them from the world, which is a fine line. We have to model that ourselves. We want to prepare them for the world, not have to So we prepare them and then they protect themselves. Exactly. There we go. You got me. And I (laughs) I think I would just add, no is not a bad word. Yes. Yeah. No, and I said yes. Yes, I agree that no is, a, is not a bad word. Say no. Yes. And that goes for adults, too. Yeah. Awesome. So that, that ends uh, this episode of The Struggle is Real. You can also find additional resources at FamilyBridgesUSA.com. Thanks for joining us. We're Veronica Avila. And on this side, Omar Ramos. And Dr. Alicia Laos. Till next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com.